0: I want to take a quick second, introduce myself. My name is Sean Patrick. I'm blessed to serve as the president at Finish Line Ministries International. I'm standing in for Dean today, and uh, those are some pretty big shoes to fill, right? We're so thankful for the wonderful pastor that we have here at Life Point Church. So, Dean, wherever you're watching from, we love you. We look forward to having you back. Uh, I consider him a great friend and a great blessing uh, to my life. So, uh, as mentioned, I serve at Finish Line Ministries International. We're a missions agency that works in Malawi, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe. And we have been so blessed as a ministry to have... uh, interacted and worked together and been alongside with LifePoint Church here now for every bit of six or seven years. In fact, most recently, uh, LifePoint Church helped Finish Line uh, purchase the land for uh, a vocational training college, helped us build and, and do part of the construction work for our vocational training college in Malawi, Africa. And that vocational training college is important because it provides young adults with the opportunity to hear about Jesus first and foremost. But secondly, it gives them the opportunity to learn a skill set, to learn a trade, that when they graduate from that college, they are able to go out and find a job and finally break that cycle of poverty that has wreaked havoc on their families for generations and generations. So thank you so much, Life Point Church, for all that you've done to support that. And just a few months ago, as well, I, would say, I want to say this. Uh, a handful of small groups here within the church, as well as the men's fraternity, helped us gather and collect over 12,000 pounds of clothing items. 12,000 pounds. Put them on a shipping container and send them to the remote villages of Malawi. That is an absolute amazing thing. Even this weekend, clothes are being distributed to people who have one or two sets of clothes. They don't have shoes. So thank you so much for your love and your support. LifePoint, special shout out to Christy Lowe who has managed so much of that and the entire team uh, here. And thank you to you, the congregation who through your tithes, your offerings, make all of that possible. So thank you uh, so much for, uh, for your love and your support. People are coming to know Jesus because of your generosity. So thank you so much. And very quickly, uh, in addition to just a quick introduction, I would have to say this. Uh, My wife, Danette and I are both proud members of this church family. Uh, We consider uh, the, the church staff, we consider the family of faith here a genuine blessing to our lives. So thank you so much for how you invest in us. Today we want to continue the series called Labels. Why Labels? Because we all have them, right? Some of them are on the inside. Some are on the outside. Some were given to us uh, by others, primarily in middle school, right? They were given to us by others. Or in some cases, we've put them on ourselves. But what we're really trying to interact with here in, in, in this series is asking the question, who are we really? Who has God designed us to be? Who does he want us to be? And in his gospel writing, Luke interacts with, uh, or he highlights the interactions that Jesus has with with all types of people who at one point or another have been labeled in their life. These are people who are kind of on the fringe. They're on the margins. They, They feel isolated. They feel far from grace. So the big idea that we've been navigating through in this series is that the gospel calls you and I. It calls us to a life beyond labels. And so today we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 18. You can go ahead and flip there in your scripture. You can, you can flip through on your phone or your tablet. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at a story, uh, an encounter between Jesus and someone that the Bible refers to as the rich young ruler. Now, I don't know about you, but I can think of a lot worse labels, right? I mean, the rich young ruler. In fact, as I was kind of thinking about it this morning... Uh, It occurs to me that I might have quite a few things in common with the rich young ruler. Minus, of course, the wealth. uh, Minus, of course, the youth. And minus, of course, uh, the authority. I don't know if you know it or not, but I probably have three bucks in my pocket. So there's the wealth. And the youth, uh, I will rarely, as for the youth, I will rarely, rarely quote a theologian. But I will often quote a country music singer. I'm not as good as I once was, okay? Okay. And I don't know if you can tell, but I have managed, I've worked very hard to manage this dad bot. all right? So I'm not really young, so I don't have that going for me. I'm not wealthy. And as for authority, if you know anything about my life and my family and my work, I am usually the last person to know what's going on and how it's happening. So a rich, young ruler, we have a lot in common as it relates to the question that he has but not so much uh, in common with how our physical attributes and what we have and what we do. But listen, I digress, let's talk about the passage, okay? This passage, it's important for us to know because the last few weeks we've talked about parables. This is not a parable. This is an actual encounter that Jesus has with an individual. This person exists, he's nameless, he's just referred to by his label, the rich young ruler. And I want to set this up for you uh, because this young man uh, asks an incredible question. And so here we go. To set this up, Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road. They're walking. Ultimately, they're going to make their way to Jerusalem. And at one of their stops, Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's ministering to others. This young man kind of runs up to him. In fact, the book of Mark says he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He kneels down before Jesus. And he asks the most important question of all time. It's the most important question in the world. And if you have a copy of your scripture, look down at verse 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. We're going to read a chunk of scripture here. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me Let's break this conversation down a little bit piece by piece. The very first thing this young man says, right when he has finally an audience with Jesus is he calls him good teacher. Now this is very interesting and a little bit odd, right? Because in Hebrew culture, people would not refer to each other as good I would not call you a good person. You would not call me a good person. Let alone you wouldn't refer to me as a good teacher. And I would not refer to you or any of the pastors on staff here as a good teacher. The word good was reserved. It was reserved to be exclusively used in context of a description of God. Not people. So it's very interesting that this young man comes up and he says, good teacher. Because good is something only God could be. So when Jesus hears this, he he says to the young man, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. It's important to note this. At this moment, Jesus is not setting aside his deity. In fact, he's confirming it. He's confirming confirming it by saying, look, if you are calling me good, then you must know who I am because only God can be good, right? There's this wink and a nod moment between Jesus and the rich young ruler where they kind of look at each other and go, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the one who, who came. You, you're Emmanuel, you're God in the flesh. You're God with us. And Jesus acknowledges that with him. So at first glance, you look at the scripture, is, God, is Jesus saying he's not, he's not God? No, he's doing the exact opposite. He's letting people know. He's letting this young man know, you know who you're talking to. I know you know who you're talking to. So let's get on with the, with the real topic at hand. Jesus is setting a tone for this young man. And I believe this, I believe that this man, this young guy who had the world by the tail, he wants to know where he is going to spend eternity. That's all he wants to know. Am I going to heaven when I die? Or am I going to hell when I die? The stakes are high. There's not a bigger question. And I believe with all my heart that this young man is sincere and he wants answers. And this brings me to my very first point today, and it's this. Seeking answers to a question about eternity. Seeking answers to a question about eternity is both rational and admirable. We all ask the question what happens after we breathe our last? It's a rational question. We want to know. There's some mystery about it. And from where I stand, it's admirable. To think that a young man or a young woman who comes to a camp or a conference, a person who might walk through these back doors today might say, I don't know all the answers. I want to know what it is to have eternal life. I find it admirable that they would have the courage to enter into a conversation or that they would have the courage to walk into a church and begin seeking out that answer. And if that's you today, if you have found yourself sitting in this place, I have to tell you, you've come to the right place. Because there are hundreds of people in this auditorium who would do anything they could to share with you what it means to have eternal life. And we're going to try to answer that question today. Seeking answers to a question about eternity is both rational and admirable. Now, let's look at Jesus' answer to the question. Look down at verses 20 and following. Jesus says this, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And then the young man says, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus answers the young man's question in a way that is somewhat unexpected. He recites the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth commandment. And he does this with a purpose. He does this with with an objection in mind, with an object in mind. And here's what's interesting, right? Without hesitating, this young man kind of superficially, and I believe probably hastily, looks at Jesus and said, Yeah, I've got no problem with this. I've done it. I've kept those commands from the time I was a youth. Well, what does Jesus go with that? What does he say when someone says, I can answer your question? I'm spotless. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't simply say to the young man when the question was asked, Repent and believe. Because after all, that had been his message for the previous three years. Repent and believe. How do I gain eternal life? Repent from your sin and believe in me. But he doesn't answer that way because he knows the young man's heart. Remember, Jesus is, is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he knows this young man's heart. He knows that this young man has a distorted view of righteousness. He knows that this young man has a belief that because he, he's able to obey these commands, because he's able to pretty much live a good life, that he thinks he has an inside track to eternal life. And Jesus wants to get beyond the superficial. He wants to get beyond our actions. He wants to get beyond beyond what the rich young ruler does. And he wants to get beyond what we do. And he wants to get to this young man's heart. And he wants to get to our heart. Jesus wants to go deeper. Why? Here's why. Because Jesus knows, and you and I know this. We know that it is possible for us to act morally. You know that it is possible for us to obey the rules, to be decent, to be law-abiding. You know that it is possible for us to have a sense of right and a sense of wrong. You know that it's possible for us to have kindness and grace and love others and at the same time still have a heart that is desperately wicked, that is deceitful, that is corrupt, and that is sinful. We've experienced this in our lives, right? We know this because we all kind of fall into this trap where we say, look, if I can just check the boxes, if I can just do the things that Jesus wants me to do, I'm on my way. I've got two-thirds of it figured out. I'm almost there. This is what I'm called to do. But this isn't really all that Jesus is interested in. He's interested in so much more in this rich young ruler's life. He's interested in so much more in your life and in my life. He's interested in more than just our obedience. He's interested in our attitude. He's interested in our motives. He's taking stock of what's in our heart, our heart issues. Think about it this way. In other words, the heart matters matter to Jesus. Do you get that? The heart matters matter to Jesus. And we know this from Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, obviously the physical act of murder is sin, but so is harboring anger in your heart. The physical act of adultery is sin, but so is a lustful thought. Jesus is interested in our heart, and this brings me to our second point. Eternal life is connected to the condition of our heart, not our good works. It's connected to the condition of our heart and not our good works. When I was in high school, I had a great friend and we would run around and sometimes do good things, sometimes do crazy things. But one way or another, we found ourselves spending the night uh, at his home on a Saturday evening. And his father, over the course of the day, had figured a couple things out about us some things that come to light that really disturbed uh, this, uh, my friend's dad. And so when we roll into the house, he was waiting for us. And in the way you could do in 1984 that you can't do today, he put us up against the wall in in the same manner that that you would think it was kind of like a drill sergeant. And he begins to look at us and says, hey, I think and this man put his finger in my chest with every word, right? That was awesome. You can't do that today, but that was that was with every word he put his finger alternating in our chest. He said, "Look, you're a fraud. You can run around church all you want. You you can you can uh, put an air on about you. You can fake everybody out that you want. But I know you. I know you now." And more importantly god knows you he knows your heart and then he looked at us with not anger in his voice or anger in his eyes but genuine disappointment and hope at the same time he mustered it up and he said change your heart because he knew that it wasn't about the actions he knew we could fake that most of the time he knew it was about our hearts Now, listen, don't get me wrong. Jesus is pro-commandment, right? He's pro-you and I keeping the commandments. Uh, Murder, sin, stealing, all of those things are an affront to God. They are sin in his eyes, but so is the sinfulness of our heart. Those things that are a little uh, less obvious, those things that cannot easily be seen from the outside, our motives, our deception, our hatred, our jealousy. And here's what we know, right? And here's why Jesus wants to get there. This is why Jesus wants to get to the root. You know this. I know it because we've experienced we've experienced it t- together. It, what's in our heart at one point or another, it may not be today or tomorrow or the next day, but at some point, what's in our heart will come out in our actions. So Jesus is trying to get to the root challenge, the root of the question, the root problem with the rich young ruler. So now... Here's what he's going to do, right? He's going to really press in on this guy. Look down at verses 20, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, the answer that the young man had, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Jesus asked a difficult question. He asks one that really knocks this guy back. He asked him to give him everything, to set it all aside and follow me. Imagine the terror that that coursed through this young man's body at that moment. He felt, because of his obedience to the commands, that he kind of had an inside track to eternal life. And now he's hearing Jesus say, eh, you still lack something. I need you to set everything aside and follow me. He was panicked because he knew he didn't want to do it. He knew how important these things were in his life. He knew how important the stuff was. If you recall this, in Jesus' initial answer to the question, he he quotes the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth commandment. Those are all lateral, horizontal commandments. They are commandments that have to do with how I treat you and how you treat me. But there's four other commandments. There's actually six that do that. There's four other commandments that that, that contend with how we deal with God. And the first of those commandments is simply this. You shall have no other gods before me. He's asking the rich, young ruler to give him first place. That's what he's doing. This is important to know. This is not a a, a case where Jesus is is saying to you and I that rule following, that generosity, or that poverty is a requirement for eternal life. Don't, Don't misconstrue that. That's not what he's saying. What he may call you to do, what he may call me to do is absolutely different for each person. For this man, he was saying, give it all away and follow me. But what Jesus is doing, he's asking us to put him first. And for this young man, because Jesus knew his heart, it had everything to do with his wealth and his possessions. And as we'll find out in the story, this young man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He was tethered to what he had, despite the fact that Jesus says to him, if you do it, there will be treasures for you in heaven. Look, man, you asked me the question. I'm giving you the answer. Put me first. And if you do, I'll take you there. And there'll be treasure waiting for you. And this young guy, he couldn't do it. I remember a handful of years ago, I was in Malawi, Africa. Uh, we were traveling deep four or five hours into the remote villages, the, the rural areas where people live in mud huts and thatched roofs. And, and, and I've been all over The countryside in southeast africa but this was one of the poorest villages i'd ever been to and we're blessed to have one of our churches there and that particular weekend we were holding outreach services in order to uh to kind of let people from the village and other villages around come and and hear the gospel message of jesus so we hold the service for 500 people it ends Okay, we're standing around, kind of as you do after church, talking with people, greeting people. And I noticed the young man who serves as our executive director. His name is Yohani. I noticed him about 15 feet from me. Yohani is talking to a lady after church. And the best way I can describe it, with absolute honor, with absolute uh, tact, I want to say she was old. She was feeble. She shuffled. Her clothes were tattered. They were torn. She didn't have shoes. And I saw her interacting with Yohani, and they did this game, right? They did this game where where she was handing him something, and he was handing it back. She was insisting he would take it. He was insisting that she keep it. Kind of like we do, uh, my friend and I, Chris Joseph, when we we have breakfast together. Who's going to take the check, right? Yohani wanted her to keep whatever it was she was handing him. She wanted him to keep it. And finally, I saw this young man relent, receive what she had, and put it in his pocket. And then I watched this, young la- this, this, this uh, old lady wrap her arms around this young man and hug him. And then she shuffled 10 feet over to me. I've never met her in my life. And she hugged me, and then she walked away. When we got in the truck, I asked you, oh, honey, I couldn't wait to find out what happened there. What, what was this all about? And he said, Sean, she she wanted to give an offering for the work of our ministry here. And she only had two kwacha to her name. Kwacha is the currency in Malawi. And just for reference sake, it takes 1,026 kwacha, it's a coin, to equal $1. That's how poor these people were. So one one one-thousandth of a dollar. She had two one-thousandth of a dollar to her name. And he said, she insisted that we take one and put it to work for the sake of Jesus Christ. I said, how did you understand? How did you know everything that she was saying? He said, she simply said this to me, mulungu amenbwerea poyamba, which simply means put God first. God comes first. And that's what he's asking. He's asking this rich young man to put me first. Make me first place. He knew what was important to this young guy. He knew what was important to this young man. And he asked him to separate it, to separate himself from him and follow Jesus. And this brings me to my third point. This is important. Following Jesus requires putting him first because it's a reflection of one's heart. And here's the thing at times it will come at a cost. At times it will come at a cost. Jesus continues, right, he continues uh, to talk with uh, this young man and his disciples, and, 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 and here's what happens. right? I'm not going to read the passage for the sake of time, but basically this is what transpires. The, the young man leaves, and Jesus is left standing there with his disciples, and he explains to them that it's very difficult for a rich man a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, this isn't a message about poverty, giving wealth or works, but it's a message about putting Jesus first. It's a heart message about giving him control of our lives. It's a message about following Jesus Christ. So whether it's resources and wealth, whether it's relationships, whether it's job titles, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that you have in first place, Jesus is saying, set it aside and put me on the throne of your heart. I deserve first place. You know this. I know this. There's nothing wrong with a great job title. There's nothing wrong with wealth or possessions. There's nothing wrong with having a few things until they become the most important things in our life. See, because it's easy for us to find security and and importance in our wealth and in our possessions, isn't it? It's easy easy for us to find these things. easy, Easy for us to find our joy. But here's the thing. As Christians, men and women who are blessed, look where we're sitting today. We cannot allow our possessions to possess us. We can't do it. We've got to put Jesus first. It's what he's calling us to. So listen, it, it, if this is nipping at your heels a little bit, and I have to tell you, I studied it this week, and it's nipping at my heels a little bit too. Let me encourage you to do this. Set aside a couple of minutes this week. Get yourself alone and quiet. Tear out a piece of paper or get a journal and write down some introspective questions and write down the answers to those questions. Ask yourselves a question like, am I selfish or am I generous? And then answer it. Do I look at, at relationships of something as something that I can get or something I can invest in? Do I, do I hold on to things for myself, or do I give to others? Because the only way we're going to change our heart is to look internally at it, be honest with ourselves, and begin that process of change. I would encourage you to flip the script. If if, if you're having heart challenges this morning, right, flip the script and begin to pray more, begin to worship more, begin to praise more, begin changing your heart, begin to serve more, begin to read God's word more, begin to sacrifice more. And when you do, all of a sudden, your outward actions in your heart will begin to mirror each other. Fourthly, I want you to know this. Our eternal destiny hinges upon whether or not we follow Jesus Christ, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Set aside everything else I've said and focus on this. You have to follow Jesus. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. The Bible is very clear, right? The Bible is very clear. The stakes are high. And when we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about a young man who throws himself at the feet of Jesus and asks a question. We're talking about heaven, and we're talking about hell. And if it's heaven, please let me be clear. The Bible says it's a, it's a place where we are in the presence of God. It's comfort. It's no more tears. It's no more pain. It's no more worry. It's no more stress. It's no more anxiety. It's, it's beauty and majesty and glory beyond anything you could believe. And it's ruling and it's reigning with Jesus Christ. So I implore you, give your heart to Jesus today. Put Him first. Follow Him. When He invites you to follow Him, follow Him. Because the scripture also reminds us that if we're talking about hell, then it's the most horrific version of physical pain, thirst, torment, and anguish you could imagine. It's darkness, it's isolation. It's an abundance of everything that is evil, and it is void of everything that is good. We will not see our friends there. We will not laugh and carry on. We will be weeping. We will be gnashing our teeth, and we will spend eternity in a lake of fire. So for me, it's a no-brainer, right? It should have been a no-brainer for this young man. Put Jesus first. Turn from your sin. Follow him. Don't miss the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 16 answers the question. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not, ha- should not perish but have eternal life. He's saying, put your faith and your trust in me. Let's close this out this morning. So the rich young ruler, he exits stage right. Jesus is standing there with his disciples and he says this to them see we are going up to jerusalem and everything that is written about me will be accomplished for i will be delivered over to the gentiles and i will be mocked shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging they will kill me and on the third day i will rise and this brings me to my final point there is one road to heaven and it had to go through jerusalem and it had to go through the cross Jesus and his work on the cross, Jesus and his work on the grave is the fulfillment of everything that we have said this morning. He is the one that can clean our heart. He is the one that can make us pure. And he is the one who desires to sit on the throne of our heart. It is all about Jesus. And isn't this profound? After this encounter with the rich young ruler, Knowing what was before him, Jesus gathers his disciples and they begin to march towards Jerusalem, knowing that he would die there. See, Jesus, he denied himself. He gave up everything. Jesus put us first. When he gave his life on the cross, he put us first. He did for us exactly what He is asking us to do for Him, to put Him first. It starts and stops with Jesus. What does it take? What do I have to do? How do I inherit eternal life? The answer, follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes uh, with me? On the third day, you know this from scripture, Jesus rose from the grave. He proved himself to be the son of God. He proved that he had authority over life and death. In doing so, he became, Jesus became the one who was qualified to offer eternal life to us. He says, remember this. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you would like to have eternal life, if you would like to know that today, if you would like to have a home in heaven, I have good news. Today can be your day of salvation. Today you can know what it means to know Jesus. The formula is simple. Recognize like me you're a sinner. Recognize that your missteps keeps you from having a relationship with God that that sin has to be purified, it has to be clean, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. He shed his blood so that you and I could have our sins covered. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Turn from your past life and believe that Jesus is your Lord and your savior. Tell him that you are putting him first. If you would like to know for sure today, if you hear all of this and you say, wow, I want that. I wanna make sure I have eternal life, then I'm going to pray. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. You can do that quietly in your seat, but if you would, if you'd like to have eternal life today, if you'd like to know Jesus, pray something like this. Dear God, I am a sinner and I recognize that you are holy. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I turn from my past and I run to you. Thank you for dying for me. Today I give you first place in my heart and in my life. I ask you to be my Lord and my savior. Now with everyone's head bowed and their eyes closed, if if you prayed that prayer with me, first I want to say to you, praise God. Today, you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You are now a follower of Christ. He loves you. And He desires so much that you would grow with Him. If you prayed that prayer, I want to be the first one to celebrate with you. And if if you prayed, I'm going to ask you to do something. uh, Just very quietly, right where you're seated, raise up your hand. Let me know that you prayed. No one's, thank you, I see that. Thank you, I see that. All over the room. No one's gonna call you out, no one's gonna ask you to stand. Is there anyone else? Praise God. It's the most important decision you could ever make. And I praise the Lord that you would make that, that you have made that decision today. And listen, if you're a Christian, and you hear a message like this, if you're like me, you say, I've got a little bit of work to do. If that's you, right in the quietness of this moment, I'm gonna ask you to pray, repent. Tell God you wanna put him first. You want to develop a greater relationship with him. You want nothing standing in the way of you and him. that he can have it all. Take time in this moment just to pray to that end. Allow me to close our time together in prayer. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the message of the rich young ruler. We thank you for this encounter. We thank you, Lord, that it teaches us today that it's our heart that matters, that we need to put you first. We need to give you rule over our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this good word, this good description, uh, this good narrative in your holy scripture. We love you. We thank you so much for those who gave their lives to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you, church.